started the book of Jonah last week, and the purpose of this series is to prepare our hearts for mission. So if you were here last week, you remember the message. If you don't, here's the gist. You've seen VeggieTales, you know the story, right? God calls a guy named Jonah, go to the city named Nineveh, and I want you to preach to these people. Jonah says, not a chance, and he heads exactly in the opposite direction. So you know the story, there's the whale, that'll be next week, and, and then there's the repentance, and then there's the going and, and, and the preaching and so forth. Well, the purpose for which we're doing this as a church is because God has called us, you and I, all of us, regardless of your vocation. He's called us to declare and demonstrate the gospel to the people around us. He's called us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what we call the Great Commission, Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. But as you look out at the body of Christ, especially here in the United States of America and the West, we're affluent, and I would say the Great Commission would be better characterized maybe as the Great Omission. There's a failure to make disciples. There's a there's a contentness in, in terms of our apathy of, of, of not engaging the people around us. And so the purpose of this series is to, is to jumpstart our hearts, not by looking at Jonah and saying, hey, he's an idiot, don't do what he does, but rather look at the God of Jonah and the mercy of God and let the mercy of God compel you and drive you to follow him in obedience. So this is really less about Jonah and more about the God of Jonah so that our hearts might be prepared for mission. So one way that you can participate in this series and get the most out of it and hear from the Lord is to actually be involved in a daily devotion campaign, which consists of devotions and and daily prayer guides, which will be sent to you uh, through your your cell phone. So if you want to take out your phone and that's something you want to participate in... um, and if it's not, just pretend and go along and pretend like you're playing with your phone or surf Facebook or whatever you do when you come here and don't pay attention to the sermon. So take your phone out, turn it on, and text SUMMER, S-U-M-M-E-R, to the number 94253. Again, the word SUMMER to the destination nine. Four, two, five, three. Now, starting this week, you'll get a daily devotion uh, that corresponds to the book of Jonah and also suggested prayer guides in terms of how you can be praying for yourself, for your family, for your community, and for the world. So I encourage you to take advantage of that. So here's where we're headed this morning. This morning, we're going to look at Jonah, chapter 1, 4 through 16. Last week, we looked at Jonah's call. God came to Jonah and said, go, arise, go to Nineveh and preach to that great city. Jonah hops on a boat and he sails to the opposite end of the globe, as far away possible from Nineveh. And that's where the story ended, or at least that's where the text ended last week. Today, we pick it up with God's pursuit of Jonah. God's pursuit of Jonah. He sends a storm. He hurls a storm. Why does he do that? Because he loves Jonah. Sometimes the storms in our lives, they come at us, and we can mistakenly interpret that as God's judgment against us. God is judging me. When reality, God might be allowing pain into your life, but it's not a form of judgment. Judgment comes later when you die. But it is a form of discipline because in his tender mercy, sometimes he is severe in his mercy. 
Sometimes his love takes a form of getting in our face and preventing us from destroying ourselves. So we're going to take a look at the reason for the storm today. The reason for the storm today. First of all, what's wrong? What's wrong? Let's identify the storm. Secondly, who do we blame? Who's at fault here? And the third, what do we do? The third, what do we do? Now, some of you are looking at point number two and you're like, That sounds suspiciously like something we ought not to do as Christians. Just roll with it. It'll hopefully come together for you as we we go through the text. Open your Bibles to Jonah chapter 1, and we're going to pick it up in verse 4. And as you do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. And Spirit, we are asking that you would open up blind eyes today, that you would open up ears which are hard of hearing, and you would soften and prepare hearts which are hard, all of our hearts, Lord. We ask that you would speak your word to us and that you would bear fruit in our lives. We pray that the preaching of the word might bring honor and glory to Christ, that he would be lifted up, that he would be exalted, and that all men and women and children might be drawn to him. Help me to preach and teach in such a way that Jesus, that you are honored today, and that Christ, Lord, gets all of the glory. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so first of all, Starting in verse 4, we're going to take a look at verses 4 through 6, and we're going to take a look at the question, what's wrong? What's wrong in Jonah's context? What's wrong in Jonah's context? But why, by way of application, what's wrong in our context? So here we go. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten up the load. Okay, context. We know Jonah's running. We know that God, in his love, is pursuing. And in the pursuit of Jonah, God hinders Jonah's progress. Why? Why? Proverbs chapter 16, verse 25 Solomon says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. So we think we have our best plans in mind for us. We're going to pursue what is going to bring us the greatest happiness in our lives. Because we hear God's call and sometimes we think, well, God's call doesn't seem palatable to me. Obedience doesn't seem to be my best plan, so I'm going to follow my best plan. And God in his love, in his loving mercy, He pursues us, and sometimes he will throw things in front of us to stop us, to stop us. And typically, when those storms come, we think, oh, how mean God is. In actuality, it's like, oh, how merciful God is. Oh, how merciful. God's objective here is not to smite Jonah, it's to stop Jonah for his good and the good of the Ninevites. For his good and the good of the Ninevites. And so the ship is sinking. So metaphorically speaking, we can look out at our world. You can maybe look into your own hearts and your own life individually, but certainly corporately, we would look at this and we would say, we're all in the same boat and the ship is sinking. Thank you. The ship is definitely sinking right on cue. Leave it to a kid. They're always listening. You don't think they are, but they are. So we are in the same boat and the ship is sinking. Culturally, the ship is going down. And there is a raging storm. We are seeing Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32 actually played out in our culture. 
Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, he says, the wrath of God is being revealed against the wickedness of mankind, who, although they know the truth about God, suppress the truth because of unrighteousness. And later in that same chapter, Paul says that God gives them over to the sinful inclinations of their heart. Three different times you hear that phrase, God gave them over. And you see our culture um, rejecting all warnings and rejecting the, uh, the, the call of God and sprinting as far away from God as they possibly can. And you see the culmination and the, 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 the storm that's brought up about by this. Our culture is it's decaying. It's decaying. And so we see that whether it's individually in Jonah's life or whether it's uh, in our own culture, we see the ship sinking. Now let's take a look at verse 5 and 6. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean? What do you mean? You sleeper, arise, call out to your God. Perhaps God will give thought to us that we may not perish. Okay, now what are the pagans doing? Everything they can to save the ship, right? What is the one representative of God doing? He's sleeping. He's sleeping. Oftentimes you can look out at the body of Christ, and the body of Christ knows that the culture is, is, uh, is, is declining. The body of Christ knows that the ship is sinking. And yet many Christians, maybe you even, maybe you even, have this attitude. It's like, well, I know the world is going to hell in a handbasket, but I have a ticket punched, and so I know my future's secure, and there's this attitude of apathy towards everyone else. That's what Jonah has right now. It's like, well, I have a covenant relationship with Yahweh. Uh, he may take my life, but I know who I am in him. And he has no regard for anyone else but himself. So ironically, who are the righteous people in this story? The pagans. The pagans are the one who are practicing righteousness. They are actually caring about each other. And even this guy, Jonah, in the whole of the ship. So that's what's wrong. There's a storm. There's a storm. The wages of sin is death. The wrath of God is being revealed. There's problems in the world. There's human suffering, which is compounded by human stupidity and human sin. But we all know this, yes? So we know there's a storm. Everybody can recognize this storm. Okay, now who do we blame? Who do we blame? Now, intuitively, you're like, that doesn't sound responsible. It doesn't sound responsible that we should try to fix blame. Shouldn't we, shouldn't we own it? Well, yes, but I'm going to uh, submit to you that it's impossible not to try to fix blame. Two assumptions that we're going to look at, two assumptions and one principle. Two assumptions and one principle. Uh, assumption number one, someone is always to blame. Someone is to always to blame when they're suffering, always. Assumption number, by the way, these are assumptions, not principles. Assumption number one, someone is always to blame when they're suffering, Assumption number two, suffering's not normal. Otherwise, you wouldn't be looking for someone to blame, right? And principle number one, personal sin always brings corporate consequences. So let's roll with the first assumption. The first assumption, someone is always to blame. So they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What's your occupation? Where do you come from? 
What is your country and what people are you of? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Now, the pagans here, they're not worshipers of Yahweh. They're not Jews. They're not Hebrews. Now, back in the day, at this time in the history of the world, people had various local deities, or you had the God of the sea, you had the God of the sky, you had the God of war, you had the God of commerce, you had the God of pleasure, you had the God of fertility. You have, there are all these various deities, and depending on what locale, if this was a local deity, and if things were going bad in that location, you might assume that you had ticked off said deity. And so you might want to appease that deity, otherwise you would incur that deity's wrath. And so that's what's going on here. That's what's going on here. Now, you might say to yourself, well, wait a minute. Aren't storms normal? These guys are sailors. They're sailors. And so they've, they've discerned that this is a special kind of evil. This is a special... Evil can be translated calamity or disaster in the Old Testament as well. So this is a special kind of storm. It's different than the average storm. And they know, they sense that someone on the ship is responsible for this. Now... We look at this and we, in our modern sensibilities, and we're like, <laughs> those superstitious pagans, oh, how silly they are. And so we're quick to look at them and think, oh, how, 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 uh, how ancient, how, how not modern, how unscientific. The, the Jews, 800 years later, were not different. Different deity, certainly. But if you turn to, to your Bibles in John chapter 9, turn there real quick, you'll see an account where the disciples are in Jerusalem with Jesus and, and they're walking along in Jerusalem and they're outside of the temple and there's a beggar, he's a blind man, and they see the blind man. And in John chapter 9, verse 2, they ask Jesus a question. And the question assumes that somebody's at fault. They say, they see the blind man and said, the blind man, who sinned? Was it him or his parents? Now, what does that assume? It assumes that all suffering has as its origins someone's culpable. Someone is guilty. Someone transgressed. Someone sinned. Now, Jesus, of course, says, well, neither. It was neither him nor his parents, but he was born blind that you might see the glory of God. But even then, somebody's to blame. Who? Well, Paul says in Romans chapter 5 that death and sin entered the world because of one man's disobedience. So even if it's not his parents' fault, even if it's not his fault, sin entered the world because somebody sinned, Adam. So here we are, whether it's your personal fault or someone has harmed you and, 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 and sinned against you, and that's the cause of your pain, or you just live in a fallen world populated by fallen sinners and, and things are awful. At root, someone is to blame. So whether you're a pagan or whether you're a you have a Judeo-Christian worldview, at, at essence, all human suffering, somewhere down the line, it's because of sin, somewhere. Maybe not yours personally, but somewhere down the road. Now, uh, I know that most of you don't fit this category, but you do work and live amongst those who do. And that's the category of, I'm not a believer, I'm an atheist, and I believe that all there is in the universe is the universe, Period. Okay, we're just, that's uh, not an insignificant portion of our population. Would you agree? 
Now, you, you may not think that. Some of you do, so this will address you. But for those of you who don't think that way, it addresses those that you live with, you work with, you recreate with. So it's important for you to know how they think. Now, they too, they too, the mater- I'll call them materialists. They, they only believe in the material universe. They don't believe in anything supernatural. They too believe something's wrong. They too believe something wrong. The, it, principle number two. Principle number two is suffering's not normal. Now, if you are a materialist, there is no normal. What is, is. Follow the logic. If there is no God, there are no commands. If there is no lawgiver, there are no laws. If there are no laws, there is no right and wrong. There is no ought. Make sense? The storm just is. Everything that you experience, if there is no God, everything you experience is a product of time, matter, and chance. You are chemically determined. The the issue of human free will, it's a complete illusion. There's no right and wrong. There just is. There's no real injustice. So we look at the storm. Well, the storm just is. You look at... Jonah's apathy. Jonah's apathy just is. It's a product of individual social Darwinism. You know what Darwinism is? Darwinism is the survival of the fittest. So according to evolutionary theory, human beings, different species, do what they do to best propagate their own lives and the lives of their tribes, right? There's nothing advantageous for Jonah to go to Nineveh. That doesn't perpetuate his own life, nor does it perpetuate the life of his fellow Israelites. So Jonah's disobedience just is. It's not right or wrong. It just is. Oh, the Ninevites, their injustice and their extreme violence. There's nothing right or wrong about their injustice. There is no injustice. It just is. You say, well, Brooks, they're mean people. What is mean? Well, they exploit the weak. Again, back to evolutionary theory. What do you think Darwinism is? It's the survival of the fittest. Who gets called out of the herd? The weak. Who calls the weak out of the herd? The strong. The Ninevites are strong. There's no, it's not a right or wrong issue. It just is. Furthermore, let's get a little personal just to make this really uncomfortable. Your crappy marriage. It's not your husband's fault. He just is. It's not your wife's fault. She just is. The injustice you experience at the hands of those who oppress you, it's not injustice. It just is. By the way, the diagnosis, the cancer, the malignancy, it just is. See, Brooks, how could you be so cruel? By the way, everything that I'm saying right now, I don't believe any of it. I'm just trying to help you follow the logic that if you say there is no God, then there is no ought and there is no injustice. It just is. No one believes that. No one. And I mean, no. well, you might find a few wingnuts out there that do, but they're the few rare exceptions that follow the convictions all the way to the end. But most people who don't believe in God do not believe anything I just said. No, they say it is wrong to treat people inhumanely. What is humane? Again, I'm getting off on a tangent. I'm preaching a totally different sermon. But I want you to understand that by virtue of the fact that people can say, hey, there's a storm, something's wrong, implies that there is something right. And there is a God 
who makes things right. Okay, next principle here. Two principles or two assumptions, one principle. The principle is human sin, personal sin causes corporate suffering. Let's take a look at Jonah here. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, that is Jonah, what is this that you've done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them, Jonah's sin has brought personal harm upon them. They are, they are not culpable for Jonah's sin, but you can be dang sure that they're going to suffer for Jonah's sin. And that's why they're saying, what have you done? And this is true of you and it's true of me. There is no personal choices to disobey God that don't affect the people around us. Some of you young men and older men, but I'll start with the younger men. You get a cell phone, you get a smartphone, you get that text, you get that email, you click on that and you're down, you're surfing the internet, now you're looking at internet porn and you're thinking to yourself, yes, I know I shouldn't be doing this, but it's only hurting me. There is another human being on the other end of that screen that's being exploited sexually for your pleasure. Furthermore, you may be single right now, but someday if God should provide a spouse for you, your personal sin is going to affect your wife and your future children. And it could just decimate and destroy your relationship with them. So don't kid yourself. That's just one example, by the way. And according to statistics right now, 67% of all men in the church struggle with internet pornography. Awkward silence ensues. 50% of those who are in ministry, that sin alone could be the very reason the church is so pathetically anemic in a culture that is desperate for salt and light. So do not kid yourself. Your personal decision to follow Christ or not follow Christ impacts more than just you and your immediate family. Jonah's decision is going to kill a shipload of pagan sailors. Sins of commission harm others, but also sins of omission. Okay, we can look out at our culture and say the ship is sinking. We can look out at our culture and say that there is a salt and a light deficit in our culture. Can we agree with that? What's Jonah doing before the captain wakes him? It's not a trick question. He's sleeping. That's a sin of omission. Do you, I want us to understand that, yes, the, the world's going to be the world. The world is going to reject God. True, 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 true. But what, are, what is the body of Christ? We're to be salt and light. But if the church is asleep in the hall and refuses to be salt and light, there is a deficit of both salt and light in the world. So our hiding our our light under a, a bushel and our not being salty contributes, contributes to human suffering and misery in the world that God has called us to engage. You say, well, I'm not doing anything bad. You're asleep in the hall. That's the point. That's why the captain says, wake up, you sleeper. Don't you care? Don't you care? So our sin personally, has corporate consequences. First of all, to those immediately around us, but even those that we don't even know. 
Okay, so what do we do? We recognize the storm. We fix blame. Oh, one more thing. I'm sorry. I've got to go back here. I've got to go back. I can't miss this. This is what happens when you don't look at your notes. You skip over major points. So modern man affixes blame. We all do. We all do. We have the pagans. We have Judaism. We have Christianity. There's personal sin. There's corporate sin. There's sins of omission. There's sins of commission. Everybody's trying to fix blame. You want to find a group of pagan sailors? You want to watch them in action? Literally? Literally? Turn on the news tonight, this week. Turn on Fox, CNN, ABC, doesn't matter. And watch the sailors cast lots to fix blame for everything that's wrong in our culture. That's what they do. You cannot watch the news, read the news, without constantly seeing one pundit, one person trying to fix blame for what's wrong with the economy. Well, obviously, it's that group's fault. What's wrong with our political system? It's those people, you know, the Democrats, or those people, you know, the Republicans. We look at our, our, our ecological problems. Well, whose fault is it? Well, it's somebody's fault. It's man's fault. It's those industrialized nations that are burning too much carbon. It's their fault. The reason there's forest fires is someone's fault. Everything is someone's fault. So whether we're talking about religious context or whether we're talking about secular context and everything else that's going on in the world, everybody is fixing blame. Who's responsible? Now, so that brings us to the point of, all right, so something's wrong, somebody to blame, what do we do? This is where it gets super depressing. Some of you are like, seriously? Because I'm thoroughly depressed at this point in the sermon So the fact that we're going to go lower is distressing. There's 30 seconds at the end, which is kind of a pick-me-up, kind of. So hold on. No, we'll get to the buoyancy part next week when we get to Jonah chapter 2. But just roll with this here. What do we do? So then they said to him, what do we do? What shall we do? That the sea may quiet down for us. The sea grew more and more temptuous. And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it's because of me that this grace tempest has come upon you. So Jonah's solution is, just cancel me. Now, I chose that word specifically because what does our culture do when they find the guilty person? They're canceled. You and I all live in a cancel culture, and all of you know what that means. If you say the wrong thing, if you've transgressed against the cultural creed, whatever the creed is, You've transgressed. And the solution is, is to toss you overboard. Now, who came up with a solution? The guilty guy. The guilty one. He says, well, you have to cancel me. You have to cancel me. See, that's what religion does. Religion has this mentality because that's what religion is. The essence of religion is obey the commandment and live. Disobey the commandment and you are cursed. Cursed are all those who do not live by the law, Deuteronomy says. Okay, well, how many of you are keeping the law? Please don't raise your hand, because that will indicate you have no idea what the law is. None of us are keeping the law, so all of us are cursed. So all of us are canceled. That's what religion does. Find the guilty one, toss them over, because they're bringing sin and misery to everyone else. Make sense? That's not hopeful. That's not a helpful message. 
It's depressing. And our secular culture is not any different. Our secular culture says, obey the creed and live. You see, secular people don't have creeds. Oh, really? Have you driven by and seen, you see the, the fundamentalists, you know, the right-wing Christians, they got the Ten Commandments planted in their yard, right? Well, have you ever driven past someone who has the other commandments planted in the yard? This house believes that. They got 10 or 11 different things. They're just different creeds that if you violate, you're guilty and you need to be canceled. Please raise your hand if you're tracking with this and you've noticed that there is such a thing as, as cancel culture. This is, this is the world we live in. Secular, find the guilty party, throw them overboard. Now, here's why this is so depressing. There's no redemption. There's no redemption. Whether you violate the secular creeds of our day or whether you violate the Ten Commandments, there's no hope because the standard is perfection. Have you noticed that our non-believing secular culture offers no redemption or repentance or acceptance to the guilty? There's no way back. Once Jonah's over, he's over. Now, I do find it interesting that there's something not in the text. We can't find it in the text. Let's keep reading here. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. So they're trying with all their might. What are they trying to do? Don't overthink it. What are they trying to do? Save Jonah. Jonah's given them the solution. Cancel me. Toss me over. They don't want to. Again, once again, the dirty pagans who don't know the Lord are the righteous ones here. And Jonah... I find it fascinating that Jonah didn't say, when they said, what do we do? Tell us what to do. Why didn't Jonah just say, the problem is my heart. I don't want to go to Nineveh. So here's what we'll do. I'll repent. I'll confess that to sin of the Lord. You take me back to shore and I'll go to Nineveh. That's not what happens. Why? Jonah would rather die than go to Nineveh. He'd rather die. Throw me overboard because I would rather be dead than actually take God's mercy to people like those people. I'd rather die. So that'll save you, but I I don't want the Ninevites to receive God's mercy, so toss me overboard. Toss me overboard. Here's the deal. Whether it's religion, obey the commandments and live, disobey and be canceled, or secular, obey the secular creed and live, or disobey and be canceled, neither option provides any hope. And this is utterly depressing. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not an innocent blood on us. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. So they picked Jonah up and they hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the man feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows. If we end right here, this is a gross injustice and potentially the worst sermon I've ever preached in my life. Why? Because it's utterly depressing. So what's the solution? According to this text, find whoever's guilty and kill them. Well, that's really helpful. Raise your hand if you're guilty of a sin. So what's the implied solution? Toss you overboard. That's not helpful. That's not helpful. 
These guys didn't want to do it, but they did it, and then they were even more afraid after the winds calmed down than they were when the winds were raging. They began to get a glimpse of something of the nature of Jonah's God. So like I said, this is an utterly awful sermon if we end right now, and we're not going to end right here. As we close, we have to end going 800 years into the future from when Jonah was thrown over to a different storm, to a different ship, to a different group of sailors. In Mark chapter 4, on that day when evening had come, he, Jesus, said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. So this isn't just one boat. This is a collection of boats. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? This is not a coincidence that this reads like the first chapter of Jonah. You have a ship, you have sailors, you have a supernatural storm, and you have someone in the bow fast asleep. The captain comes to Jonah and says, Arise, you sleeper, and call out to your God. The disciples come to Jesus and say, Arise, teacher, for we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to them, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Okay. Three likes and one unlike. Switch that. Three unalikes and one like. First of all, Jesus is not like Jonah. Jesus is not running from God's will. He's pursuing it. Just before he says, let's get in the boat and go to the other side. It says, in, or right after this, it says that they landed on the other side. Do you know where the other side is? Gennerset. Do you know who lives in Gennerset? Pagans, Gentiles. Do you know who they meet as soon as they step off the boat? The demoniac. Jesus has to go to the other side. Why? Because that's where the Ninevites live. He has to go there. And unlike the story of Jonah, it's not the father that sends these waves against them to prevent them from getting there. But rather, well, technically we don't know who sent the waves, but these waves are meant to impede them so that they don't get to the other side. It's not because of Jesus' disobedience, it's because of his obedience that the storms come. And unlike, unlike Jonah, Jesus takes responsibility and he stills the waves, and stills the storm. He does not hurl himself into the deep. But here's where he's alike with Jonah. Where does he get the right and the authority to tell the waves and the wind to be still? Where does God, where does Christ derive the authority to be able to silence the supernatural evil that he's experiencing? It's because he knows that he will hurl himself into the deep. 
on our behalf. Here's the deal. You and I know the ship is sinking. And we know the ship is sinking because we are all personally culpable as individuals of sinning and falling short of the glory of God. And as it were, you and I each have a millstone life preserver. And there's nothing we can do. But Jesus comes to us in our fallenness, in our humanity, and he says, let me take your millstone. And he takes our sin upon us, upon himself, and he himself hurls himself into the deep. Whenever you see the deep in the Old Testament or the New, it's always a metaphorical, symbolic reference to being, to to chaos, to the abyss, to judgment, to God's wrath. Jesus himself throws himself into the abyss for you, for me. He's taken our sin. So we are not canceled. Instead of being canceled for your sin, instead of being canceled for my sin, instead of being condemned, Christ in our stead was condemned. And he has given to you and to me, to all of those who call on the name of the Lord, his righteousness. In other words, we receive the benefit of his meritous achievement and he receives the penalty of our transgression. There's only one who was canceled and his name is Jesus, but he conquered sin and death. And just as he says in Matthew chapter 12, I tell you the truth, as Jonah was in the belly of a whale for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man must be in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. Jesus conquered sin and death on the cross so that you and I would not be canceled, but that we would be embraced as sons and daughters. I know that's not in the text, but you can't not be able to see that. It's too, too rich. The story of Jesus and the story of Jonah are parallel tracks moving in opposite directions. One away from the Father and one towards the Father. And Jesus ran towards the Father that you and Jonah might be brought back. So receive him. Trust him. Sign up, summer, to 94253 and receive these devotions. But more importantly, receive Christ. The scriptures say in John chapter one, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. You say, Brooks, you don't know what I've done. It does not matter what you have done. You have not gotten in the face of the living God like Jonah. Your sin is no worse than Jonah's. Your sin is no worse than Paul's. Your sin is no worse than Abraham's. Your sin is no worse than the, the, the woman at the well. Your sin is no worse than the thief of the cross. Jesus' sacrifice was enough. He'll never love you more. He'll never love you less. But you must receive him by grace through faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. Thank you for, Lord, the fact that you, in the midst of the storm, recognize that we are at fault for all of the suffering. One way or the other, it is human sin that has brought sin and death into the world. Lord, and I pray, Father, that we would recognize that your sacrifice is enough. Lord, that you died on the cross, you conquered sin and death, you have given us your gift of the Holy Spirit that we might walk in the newness of life. And Lord, the world still is unjust. We still do struggle with sin. 
and there's still a lot of blame to go around. Lord, help us to be those who take grace into the world and not simply condemnation. Father, help us to be those who row hard towards the, towards the banks, Lord, but give us supernatural grace. We pray that you would give us um, faith to believe and faith to walk in obedience, that we might be unlike Jonah, but more like Christ, and that we head to the other side, to those who don't know you, that they might come to know you. Father, we pray this, that Christ might be exalted and that he might be glorified. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless, go in grace, and we will see you next week.